cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on Friday the 27th of February 2009. I always advise newcomers to look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. That's my website, and you'll find on it lots of talks I've given in the past where I try to give you clues and fill in a lot of blanks in history that are left out deliberately so that you can get shortcuts to the big picture of how the world is run. And there's a lot more to it than, than I know, obviously, or anyone else knows, because we have such a complex system, but it's really run by clubs at the top, the big powerful clubs, you might say. They, they call them circles themselves. So I try to show you how they, they form the combines and how they own the resources of the planet and how they rule us by their ownership, basically. At the moment, we're going into personal ownership. We're all going to be owned by the IMF eventually as we go into receivership, which is part of the, the deal for Bretton Woods Part 2. Also look into Alan Watts Sentinel.eu for transcripts of these talks, which you can download, print up, and they're written in the various languages of Europe. You can also help Keep me going by donating to me. You'll find out how to do it. It's on cuttingthroughmatrix.com. And you can also buy that which I have for sale on that site as well. That's what keeps it all going. I don't ask for payment from any of the shows I'm on because I think we're living in such dire times that people have a right to know as much as possible. And I try not to bring commerce into what I'm doing. If I did, I'd get business. And if I was a business, I'd be in entertainment. We don't have time for entertainment because things are going down so fast, but it's planned that way, as I say. I mentioned before the Bretton Woods Agreement and how the, the, the founders of that particular financial system, the system we've been running on up until present time, like John Maynard Keynes, said that there'd be a part two Eventually, a new type of Bretton Woods would come down the road, but not in his lifetime. And he's dead now. This isn't the part he was talking about, a world where everyone will serve the world state. That's what he wanted. And it wasn't his idea. He belonged to a very high association, which is also called the Royal Institute for International Affairs. In America, it's called the CFR. It's worldwide. Every country has its branch. And they've been working towards this form of world government. It's an odd world government because Professor Carl Quigley himself said that it appeared to the right wing to be communist. But in fact, it was run by the top bankers of the planet. An odd thing for bankers, if you think about it, why on earth would they want to bring in a communist-type system? What's a special socialist-type system? Their definition of socialism is where they prefer to deal directly with centralized governments and then eventually is combined into a European Union, a central 
bank for Europe, a central one for the Americas, a central one for the Far East. Because they're guaranteed payment, because the governments will guarantee them payment from the taxpayers. That's why they like this kind of system. That's why they want it. Whereas the ordinary people, in a sense, will be getting a form of rations dished out by the government for your food and for your rent, etc. And the world they're bringing in eventually is to be one without private property of any kind. That which you need will be used as a tool against you if you buck the system. That's what Bertrand Russell said. Read his books. I'll be back with more after this break. And as everyone knows, of course, it seems that the economies of most countries are simply plummeting. And some of us have been talking about this coming for years, not so much because we have a crystal ball, but because we read the books written by the big boys. And we don't realize that most of our lives, in fact, before we were born, plans were put into action to set up the present world with its three main trading blocks and eventually to go into unification as blocks with central government under a world government. And I've read from The Open Conspiracy by H.G. Wells, who was a member of the Royal Institute for International Affairs and the Fabian Society and various other clubs. He was a propagandist for them in both his novels and his non-fiction works. And they talked about their perfect utopia. And, of course, depopulation was one part of it. Another part was that no one would get born unless there was a job for you to fulfill if they needed you. In other words, you wouldn't simply be born and you'd live and decide what you wanted to do. Now there was a new definition of purpose. If you were born, it had to be for a purpose, and the purpose was to serve the world state. I mean, here's H.G. Wells writing about this at the turn of the of the 20th century and he was talking about school to work why should you allow people to pick their own occupations he said it's too untidy there's too many people competing at the bottom for the same jobs and he also knew the Milner Society that was the, the big boys at the top of the Royal Institute for International Affairs at that time and the round table societies and he worked fervently for world government. When the League of Nations was set up, they had high hopes of bringing in world government right then at the end of World War I. But it, the nations, the people themselves within the nations, weren't too happy about that, especially in the U.S., even though their president had funded the League of Nations into existence. And actually, I went on tour to France to help set it up, using American taxpayers' money, of course. But the people weren't too happy with that, so people like H.G. Wells then wrote another book and said, we need another war to bring the people to their knees. They're not ready to give up their sovereignty. And lo and behold, we have World War II. And immediately after World War II, the United Nations actually was set up during it, the last year of World War II. And in 1946, before he died, Wells also said, 
they're not ready yet again. He says, well, we want to do something more to get them on their knees, to bring them into world government. This, this, and this nice thing, too, it's all pushed by different parties in the left wing and the right wing, some parts of the right wing, too. It's been a, a sort of nice world government where we're all wonderfully multicultural and everyone has what they need and so on. But that's not what it's meant to be at all. It's an organized, ordered system, very rigid, in fact. I see a world in where, where you have no ability to choose, to choose anything for yourself in any direction. That's the kind of world government they're talking about, where the state is supreme and then it will have no gods before it. The worst tyranny, in fact, that we've ever, ever seen, a scientific socialism, as Huxley and Russell called it, that's what they were talking about, scientific socialism, a world run by scientific experts. And you can't look at an article today without experts being at the top of the page, expert on this, expert on that. Don't think for yourself, you have an expert for that. And now we accept their words and what they say without question. We're trained to do that, exactly what Huxley said. And Russell, this is, we'll train the public that they can't think for themselves, only an expert opinion on everything. That's happened. So therefore we're going along on a planned agenda. No one could possibly tell me that governments have no departments that check and watch the operations of the banks and the banking institutions. That's nonsense. And people have contested for many, many, many years that in reality, since central banks were created, the bankers ruled the nations, and that technically is true. But it did benefit the bankers, and it also benefited the elite of every country who were in bed together. Rothschild himself said, when he took over the Bank of England, he said, of course, it's a scam. The investments in the stock market system is a complete scam. He said, of course it is. But only those who are working in economics and accountants and so on will figure that out. And they won't blow the whistle because they'll be too personally well rewarded. And that's true as well. But it's not good enough, as I say, because it's still an untidy world for the big bankers, not the little banks that you go to, the big banks, the 12 or 13 families who lend to all the nations, the international bankers. They lend to all the sub-banks beneath them, the chartered ones. But it's too untidy, as I say, they, they, they like governments, dealing right with governments, because they can take them to war, profit from wars, and the taxpayer is put down as guaranteeing the debt. Right now, I don't know how many years will have been put down for to pay off the money that's been borrowed to pump into the bankers. This is amazing. They steal the money. They loot the economy, and they get rewarded by the taxpayer's money for doing so. It's astonishing. It's utterly astonishing. And most people, again, cannot believe it's really happening. I think that's why there's a so little reaction from the people at the bottom. Money's an odd thing. You're born with it. Uh, you, you get a few pennies from your grandma. You find you can buy some candy for it. And from then on, you never question it. As long as it flows, everyone seems quite happy. But they never ask where it comes from. 
who sets the value on it or any of that. It, it doesn't really matter to them. It's beyond them. It's above you. It's above you like a different heaven. It's banking heaven. And you'll never see these top bankers. Once in a blue moon, you'll get one of their names in the paper at a function or something. But it's a mystery to us. It's all a big mystery. And, and yet, this, this stuff that they deal with, this thing called money, runs everyone's life. Everyone. And as I say, what a, what a system. It takes me back to what Charles Galton Darwin said, who, who really wanted to bring in this Fabian scientific socialist society we would all serve the system and most will serve people like him the natural aristocracy being being intellectuals and he said we are creating a more sophisticated form of slavery in other words it would be so sophisticated most people would never figure it out in the old days the king's men would just simply come and grab you and at bayonet points or whatever or spear point, they'd force you into a, a labor gang and they'd work you till you died. That was obvious slavery. Today, we all serve the central banks in every country. That's what we serve. Because every time your government goes, and why on earth is government in, in the business anyway of going to get loans outside of their countries from international bankers? Why would governments need loans when they have the people taxed to the hilt already? You see? So essentially, the types of governments we have and the bankers are a symbiosis. They, they, they belong to each other. They work with each other. That's how governments really are. That's what they really mean when they, they call it democracy and they say it's a wonderful thing. They say they're spreading democracy across the planet by force, in fact, in the Middle East. It was called revolutionary democracy. What I say they're spreading is bankruptcy and slavery across the planet, to be honest with you. That's what I see. How can you tout this system to be the greatest on earth when the people in the countries that are paying for all these wars and democracy are broke? What on earth is it to be proud of? And the boys who've been looting the countries are all getting golden parachutes of millions and billions. Personally, plus the billions and trillions on top of that we're pumping back into their banks. And no one can find where all the loot's gone. And as far as I know, there will never be a, a government inquiry to trace it down either. That won't happen. Now they're talking about riots starting, and mainly from the youth. And I read an article a few nights ago about a summer of rage. It comes out of a think tank, a security think tank. That's what the governments rely on now, are these big think tanks, these private institutions which are unelected by the people and who tell the government really what they must do. And they say in the Supreme Court, a summer of rage. Just rage. And here's how they're putting it. Here's another article that came out today, in fact, about their, their summer of rage. And it's, it's from the mail, the 
February, it says, and he's listened to the wording now, because this came from the think tank. You can tell it's a handout from the think tank. Thousands of demonstrators are plotting, plotting, a series of protests to exploit, exploit, you see, the disenchantment, disenchantment with city financiers blamed for dragging the economy into a recession. They're talking about the city of London, the city, that sovereign little place in London where all the big banks are. But they also have their, their big obelisk they dragged over from Egypt to place between them. Back with more after this break. the matrix and discussing money and how the big boys at the top have been playing this game for an awful, awful long time. Money's been around since about, at least in coin form, since about 800 BC. And ever since then, it's been one contract after another, until whole nations, even in the ancient times, went into debt that they owed to bankers. Nothing new in it at all. And the bankers loved this. They even financed nations that they took over through debt to raise armies so they can go off and conquer other nations to bring it into the same system. So they're doing the same kind of contracts back then, thousands of years ago, as they're doing today. Same thing. They want to standardize the world. It makes it easier for them. Easier for them. Especially, it's far better having a government tax you directly to pay for debt the government's borrowed, you see. From its borrowing. And the government's got all the armies and policemen to make sure that you pay. It's harder, you see, if each one of us had to sign a contract right to the banker. It's, it's much more work to ground you and try and force you to pay up. But the government will do the bully work for them, you see. That's really what it's all about. Very simple. How can you be free when you're born into a system? As this is what Jefferson said to Thomas Jefferson. How can you be free if you're born into a system where you already owe a debt from a previous generation? He said that is what slavery is. You can't be free and a slave at the same time. But this strange bizarre way of thinking we have about money it goes round all of the, the obviousness of it all and obfuscates the reality of it they don't call it debt, they call it different names they call it taxes in fact, just simple taxes and they train us to say there's nothing sure in the world except death and taxes and we say it, we parrot this off as though it's a natural thing not only that, you don't even have, you don't own no property. If you own property, you would not pay property tax. It would be illegal to try and tax you for your home. You can't tax a turtle because it carries its house on its back. Why should we get taxed? And on and on it goes. It's, it's, so, it's all what I call chronology. Chronology and training generation after generation. It's much easier after you've trained the first generation. They then train their own children. But it's all quite normal. Getting back to this article from the mail, that came from a think tank, obviously, because it's worded 
the way these strategists would word it, to leave you with a certain impression. Thousands of demonstrators plotting a series of protests to exploit the disenfranchisement the city financiers blamed for dragging the economy into recession. Scotland Yard is on the alert for the protest, planned for April the 1st to mark the start of the G20 summit. You know, the great 20, the love G, it's in their symbols, which gathers the finance ministers and central bankers of 19 of the most important nations in the world, plus the European Union. Many countries are in the Union. Organizers are laboring the event, labeling the event Financial Fools Day. It may cause mass disruptions as demonstrators try to block traffic in buildings while lying in tents and sleeping bags across the road. And it could also mar the summit from which Gordon Brown is hoping to gain political ground on an international stage. Then they compared to the riots of 99, the city riot they called it, when 46 people were injured and £2 million worth of damage were caused. And what they say was, it was between city workers, this is how they termed that particular riot, between workers and anarchists. So you see, anyone now who's protesting anything and is a bit upset because they're broke, or their factories or their jobs have have, have gone, is now called an anarchist. So here's your terminology they're putting in here. They're all anarchists. Most people today don't know what anarchy is. I've talked to anarchists that don't know what anarchy is. Anti-globalization protesters, environmental activists, and anti-war demonstrators are all planning events before and during the meeting. Now, when you scroll down, they say uh, that this could be the start of a summer of rage. Again, that's that term. They love slogans, you see, and I already said the slogan a few, I think it was a few days ago, from one of the think tanks reports, these futurists that advise governments. Summer of rage. It won't be anything to do with the banks or anything. No, it's about just rage. People just are enraged and they're all anarchists, you see. And it says here, they're advising people to bring pop-up tents, sleeping bags, with turbine, mobile cinema, extra shoes, plants, etc. Let's imagine another world. So they're trying to say that these anarchists uh, are trying to imagine another type of world. It's like a big revolution. This is the impression they're giving the reader here. One protester said the example of Athens, where the young Greeks have been rioting for several months since police shot dead a teenager, could provide further inspiration. I don't think they really need any more inspiration. Do you? Then he said, and here's again, the anarchist, anarchist, it's like weapons of mass destruction, just keep repeating it. An anarchist wrote on a blog, the combination of the recession, the inspiration of the Greek anarchists, and the G20 summit being in London on 2nd of April gives us the opportunity to mobilize for far larger than usual numbers on the streets. Seize the time. Nothing to do, nothing to do with that. But they're worried about the middle class might back up the anarchists and become anarchists themselves. My God, would that happen? Would that ever happen? Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. This is Alan 
were cutting through the matrix, discussing the preludes in the newspapers about the summer of rage is coming up. And I read in articles a few days ago, one from Henry Kissinger, who came out with the same term. You see, the reason the big boys at the top all use the same terminology is because they love slogans. They do love slogans, you see, and they part them to each other, and then they eventually it filters down to the public like weapons of mass destruction. It's like parrots, you see, Re- repetition. And they're, they're all in touch with the same think tanks. They all get their info from the same top think tanks. And these top think tanks also are private companies which have the authorization to tap all our phones, etc., and get all our data. So they, they're always keeping their pulse on the public to see what's coming along. And it, it says here in this article, the same article from the Daily Mail, it says, Earlier this week, Scotland Yard's head of public order warned that the event could mark the beginning of a summer of rage. Summer of rage, you see. It's like Henry Kissinger. With mass protests over the economic crisis, Superintendent David Hartshorn Hartshorn said banks, multinational companies, and other financial institutions could all be targeted and told of fears that non-activists will use the anger over the recession, now listen to this, to stir up unrest among the middle class. He's saying the exact same thing as Kissinger said the beginning of the week. So they're going to stir up a class war. That's what Kissinger said. So these anarchists, of course, this claim they're anarchists, are going to stir up the middle class to have riots. Super, Superintendent Hartshorn said these people would be good at motivating people, but they haven't had the foot soldiers to actually carry out protests. Obviously, the downturn in the economy, <laughs> downturn, unemployment, repossessions, that's people losing their homes, changes that. Suddenly, there is an opportunity for people to mass protest. Well, Shouldn't they be mass protesting this? Hmm? Shouldn't they be doing that? He added, we've got G20 coming, and I think it's being advertised in some of the websites as a highlight of what they see as, again, a repetition, a summer of rage, says it once again. So in the people's minds who are still getting an income and so on as they watch these riots going on, as they've always done in the past, they'll just think it's, well, it's just anarchists now, isn't it? It's just people with, with silly little beefs and strange dresses on. And it's true enough, the, the clowns and everything uh, added to it all. It's, it looks kind of bizarre. And you'll also have the, the provocateurs sent in by the police to, to, to dress like toughs and uh, start riots themselves. They do that every, every single meeting, the, the G20 and the rest of them have. They always do that. And then you also have all the greenies there as well who love Al Gore and think they're going to push their cause through it as well. So the people going there for the right reasons to protest, there's all kinds of other people going there because of their particular indoctrination and a chance to show off. Uh, but, uh, but the general public won't perceive it like that. They'll be told it's just a bunch of yahoos and malcontents that aren't too pleased about something in their life and probably bring on some psychologists and psychiatrists to tell us what it is. That's what it will be. But we're in for a bad time because the riots will come. There's no doubt about it. That's why since 2001 and before, in fact, they're already setting up the machinery to deal with losing the countries, losing them. And that's what governments have been afraid of for a while, losing power over the public. They know darn well they've been scamming the public for so long.
And then they also know how angry the public would be if they start to catch on to exactly what has been happening to them. And who can blame them? Who can blame the public? It's incredible what's been happening. It's across the whole planet. And as I say, it was planned this way because, you see, every country has been pumping money Every government has been pumping money into the stock markets when their own particular main international or national industries has, have been falling. So it's always been rigged. How can it be a free market when governments have been pumping money in? And Paulson said months, but six months before the crash, he says this is the final time we'll pump money into it to keep the Dow Jones, etc. up in the NASDAQ. He didn't say why, but I knew then it was going to crash. That's the only thing that was keeping it going all along. It's planned this way. It's planned because they have the machinery up now to deal with the public. That's why it's happening now. Now, there's a, a caller on the, the line there. It's Wes from, is it Idaho? Or? Well, hello. Hello, Ellen. Yes. Yeah, uh, don't you ever get burned down on it? I heard... Didn't you say once that you were a classical guitar player at one time? I may have done. Yeah, were were you one? Yeah. I, this this is on the lighter side. I would like to get in something heavier, but why aren't classical guitars radius fretboard? And what happened to the long scale? Do you like the six sixty four long scales or? <laughs> What happened to it? I I don't know that anybody builds anything longer than 650 anymore. I'm looking for a new radius uh, cutaway guitar. and There, there is one. Cut. I think it's, it's called Dunlop. I think it's on the market right now. It's a radius guitar. It's a cutaway as well. Is that a, and you can also order to your own specifications. Is it, now, I'll, I'll go back to the show now and try to well, get back I, to I what I'm talking, talking about. Thanks for calling. Uh, uh, my God, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I've been wondering for a month what's happening to people's minds, to be honest with you. And I was wondering, is it, is it a matter of Overload with data from various news sources and the internet and so on that's put them into this state of mind where, where they're retreating from what's happening in reality and going into all bizarre different kinds of areas from Atlantis to whatever, all the stuff that fascinates them. But I must admit that's a new one with, with, with the guitar side of it because I can understand it if this was a musical program. I could prattle on about that forever in, in that particular area as well. But it's not a musical pro program. And we're dealing with some really heavy stuff here. It's very heavy stuff. And one person who can't find his particular guitar phoning in makes me wonder what's happening out there. It really honestly does. Is it just overload of data? 
Is it the new high-definition television that's so hypnotic it's done something to people? Is the harp being used, never mind the spraying, which it is being used, we all know that. I get photographs every day from all over the world. What's happening to people out there, really? Is it just that they can't handle the fear that's building? Who knows? Maybe somebody out there has got an idea. Here's an article here. <laughs> Here's an article here from from a, another newspaper. Here it's called The Business Insider. It says, if you think things are bad here, and this is from the 27th again of February. If you think things are bad here, take a quick peek at what's going on across the pond. They mentions the Telegraph. It says, Stephen Jen, currency chief at Morgan Stanley, said Eastern Europe has borrowed $1.7 trillion abroad, much in short-term maturities, and it must repay them or roll over $400 billion this year alone in payments, which is equal to a third of the region's gross domestic product. It says, good luck. The credit window has slammed shut. Not even Russia can easily cover the $500 billion debt of its oligarchs, while all remains near $33 a barrel, because their budget is based on the euro's crude being at $95, has plummeted to 33 That's how they're hoping to pay off this debt and this loan. Russia has bled 36% of its foreign reserves since August, defending the ruble. This is the largest run on a currency in history, says Mr. Jen. In Poland, 60% of mortgages are in Swiss francs. The Zioti has just halved against the franc. Hungary, the Balkans, the, the Baltics, and Ukraine are all suffering variants of this story. As an act of collective folly by lenders and borrowers, it matches America's subprime debacle. There's a crucial difference between European banks, which are on the hook for both U.S. banks, whether all the U.S. banks or not. Almost all East Bloc debts are owed to West Europe, especially Austrian, Swedish, Greek, Italian, and Belgian banks. N plus, it says, Europeans account for an astonishing 74% of the entire $4.9 trillion portfolio of loans to emerging markets. They're five times more exposed to this latest bust than America or Japan, and they're 50% more leveraged. And this is from the IMF. This is their data. Spain is up to its neck in Latin America, which has belatedly joined the slump. Mexico's car output fell 51% in January, and Brazil lost 650,000 jobs in one month. That's a great place for a particular type of guitar, by the way. They make it there. <laughs> I thought I'd throw that in. It's a cutaway. It's a 12-stringer. Britain and Switzerland are up to their necks in Asia. Whether it takes months or just weeks, the world is going to discover that Europe's financial system is sunk. I'll, I'll repeat that. Where it takes months, weeks, the world is going to discover that Europe's financial system is sunk. And there is no EU Federal Reserve yet ready to act as a lender of last resort or to flood the markets with emergency stimulus. So that's how bad it is. That's how bad it is. And it's no better in Canada, in Australia, or anywhere else. We've been well and truly had. The Strategic 
energy is quoted by John Morland. He says the sums needed are beyond the limits of the IMF, which has already bailed out Hungary, Ukraine, Latvia, Belarus, Iceland, and Pakistan, and Turkey is next. And it's fast exhausting its own $200 billion reserve. That's $155 billion euro. We're nearing the point where the IMF may have to print money for the world. Now, here's, this is what's going to happen. That's what it was really set up to do. It says, I'll come to the point where the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, may have to print money for the world. That's what they want. Using arcane powers to issue special drawing rights. Arcane powers to issue special drawing rights. Its $16 billion rescue of Ukraine has unraveled the country facing a 12% contraction in, in, in GDP after the collapse of steel prices is hurtling towards default, leaving, leaving Unicredit, Rafisin, and ING in the lurch. Pakistan wants another $7.6 billion, and Latvia's central bank governor has declared his economy clinically dead <laughs> after it shrank 10.5% in the fourth quarter. The protesters have smashed the treasury and stormed the parliament building. So, it's really getting worse, but it was to be expected, because I'm sure, as I say, this is all planned. And out of it, they will get a revived international monetary fund, a world bank, the true world bank, as it was set up to be. And they'll dish out the money, which again is debt money, to every nation on the planet. And then we're all in service to the world state, in one way or another. That's what's coming. But as I say, it's astonishing to, to realize how bad it is. Then there's Mike in New York on the line. Is Mike there? Hi, Alan. Hello. Uh, yes, Alan. Um, as you indicate, this is the end game for the uh, current incarnation of the Anglo-American-inspired enterprise of global usury. It yeah. just can't be saved. You know, it's mathematically impossible yeah. with the compounding interest. Um, the, the, the purpose of this caballo has, has been sort of fulfilled, debt and peonage for all, in perpetuity. Yes. And uh, this is the kicker, okay? Not only was the public uh, ripped off by, these, uh, by this caballo, brought about the uh, cataclysm, the various governments of the world are now uh, pumping in hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars, into these very institutions that cause the problems in order to supposedly save them in the name of the free market. And yeah. we all know that that money is going out of the back door into the pockets of the perpetrators. That's right. So That's right. this is a sting on, on top of a scam. It is. I, I noticed there they just I mean, had a... It's a do <laughs> I mean, this is yeah, incredible. They, they just had a receiver went into a, a thing that was a Stanford Corporation. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. supposed to have, I think, uh, $8.5 billion on its books. Yeah. And they've only found $250 million. So the rest of the money's vanished. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, that, even Stanford pales into, into yeah. oh, significance yeah. in comparison to the... I think the U.S. has uh, pumped in has uh, pumped in over t over ten trillion dollars with no oversight. 
No, exactly. Now, the thing <laughs> is this. The thing is this. They will not declare these institutions bankrupt because it's as long as they as long as they can uh, keep up the pretense that they're trying to save these zombie banks, yeah. they can pour in trillions more that go out the back door. That's it's right. A, Before it's all over, yeah. It's an ideal pretext. It is. This is to keep the same elites going for another another few thousand years at the top, regardless of a new money system coming in. Yeah. You know. You know, Alan. Uh, you know, you can probably guess. I, you can probably guess I'm uh, from the old country, right? Yes. I used to think that the sort of penny ante uh, con uh, con merchants in say Glasgow or Liverpool or somewhere else mm-hmm. were the top of the heap, but these. I mean, please. Oh yeah, oh, you, you can't you can't imagine the minds of these people at the top. I mean, you, you can't imagine you couldn't get into their headspace. Uh, these are the top con men that but, understand us perfectly exactly, and understand. But, yeah. but um, yeah, um, what really gets me is this: that they pulled off this big scam with all of the fraudulent securities, you know, the AAA ratings on garbage, you know. We all, <clears throat> we all know the details, pardon me. Mm-hmm. But they're unhappy with that. They now no. want to go back to the trough and get a bailout by the taxpayer again. And why not? Because, because they have the governments all in their pockets. Exactly. Alan, it's... I mean... The, May I hold on? Hold on, hold on, and I'll talk uh, after this break. Hi, folks. This is Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. And is Mike still on the line? Hi, Alan. Yeah, the the sort of essential point I'm, I'm trying to make is this that these uh, derivative contracts, they serve no useful economic purpose. They're essentially zero-sum bets or gambles between these institutions. And um, uh, when one comes due, the the party that is supposed to pay uh, suddenly can't pay. That is after collecting all the fees, okay? So the... uh, Recipient of the uh, the recipient of the obligation to pay then falls upon the taxpayer. That's right. And okay, uh, we, we're we're down as the guarantor. Yeah. Exactly. So it's like you walking into a bookies and you bet on a horse and and the bookie can't cover it. So you go to the government and the government will say, hey, you know, I'll get the taxpayer to cover that. That's right. The same now, thing. Now the the thing is this. Um, Surely we can separate the essential banking system, i.e., to facilitate, you know, payments of of economic activity mm-hmm. from this overhead of gambling. Yeah. So yeah. why does the taxpayer have to pay, you know, and this is a rhetorical question, of course, why should the taxpayer be on the hook for gambles between institutions? That's right. Say, why do we pay for someone else's gambling addictions? Exactly. So yeah. the whole thing is is the, 
they're basically, they're basically trying to tell us that if you don't pay off these gambles that we've lost, we can't, we will implode the, the, the sort of payment system. Yeah, that's right. In other words, the gamblers have, see, we're living in the gambler system. They own the system. Exactly. And the governments. Yeah, and they're basically saying we will bring down the payment system that the economy is based on if you don't pay off these other bets. That's right. In other words, this is the only system we've given you, and, yeah. and you better keep paying us uh, even though we are losing all the money. <laughs> and not only did we cause the problem, and not only have we profited from it, we will take your the taxpayers' largesse and disappear out of the back door and mm -hmm. leave a bankrupt institution eventually, and you can pick up the tab again then. You pick up the tab and so will your great-great-great-great-grandchildren because we'll never pay this off. Yeah, Alan, um... That, that is slavery. That's yeah, what yeah, slavery yeah. is. What's yeah. your feeling on whether the public is, is uh, starting to twig onto this? Uh, they're, they're twigging on, uh, and the problem in history is that the public tends to riot uh, because yeah. they're not organized. Mm -hmm. uh, and to cloud the issue, as I say, you have all kinds of other factions that are politically correct. You have all the Greenies and Al Gore teams thinking that they're going to push because they want their version of a new world to come in, which yeah. is exactly what the big bankers want too. Sure. Uh, so you, there's no real uh, coordination between them uh, and no uh, solidarity on the same topics or even an idea, really, a concrete yeah. idea as the kind of world they want. So there's not too much hope as far as you're concerned? Uh, well, when I see what the government's been uh, training for for the last 12 years, and, and that's containing by military force all, all countries, yeah. not too much right now. They, yeah. They're talking about 30 years of rioting. Yeah. Okay, thanks, um, thanks for calling. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Bye. Hang in there. Well, from Hamish, myself, in Ontario, Canada, it's good night. And may your God or your gods go with you.